Hello, welcome to episode 219 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today in the podcast, we welcome MC Taylor of His Golden Messenger and X Ignota. They may have not crossed your path. That's okay. Upon further inspection, a singer-songwriter signed to Merge may bring many questions and not as enough answers. Well, um, actually, we met through a post I made on Instagram of an older band, and I was like, that name is familiar. So I reached out, and after recognizing his name from his old band on Ebullition, um, which was a hardcore band from the 90s in Goleta and Santa Barbara, I thought, if his gold messenger is playing Santa Barbara, why don't we do the podcast there? So I drove up to Santa Barbara, and we spoke in person, and MC was insanely generous with his time, and even shouted out the podcast to the crowd, and it was a great, great time, and I think you're going to really enjoy. And MC had house shows that would make anyone yearn for a time machine, and his love for early emo um, is really deep, and I learned a ton from him during this conversation. So um, it's great to know that someone that's doing you know, a full-time career as a musician as his gold messenger has a history in hardcore and emo so you can hear it in his songs um there's a little hardcore in them and um i think you will really really enjoy that so thank you all the patreon supporters out there if you want to support head on over to patreon.com slash washed up emo thank you to double elvis podcast network uh learn about their award-winning podcast at doubleelvis.com. this is episode 219 of the washed up emo podcast with mc taylor from his gold messenger and X Ignota. Taylor um, of a group called His Golden Messenger. We are in Santa Barbara, California, and it's March 1st, 2023. And it's cold. Strangely cold. It's strangely cold today. Um, your first band was, pronounce it for me, or one My, of the first, the, the band that was on... On Ebullition. We, yeah. My first band was... Well, we started out being called IG-88. And we, after a couple months, we changed the name of the band to Exignota. Um, and it was, a, it was a hardcore band, and we made records for Ebullition, which is a record label based very close to here in, Down Gal- the street. in Goleta. Yeah. Or I don't know if they're still in Goleta, but when I lived here... Um, when was that? I lived here from 19... 19- 94 to 97 maybe or 93 to 97 i got my undergrad at santa barbara so you're a gaucho i'm a gaucho and um so i came to santa barbara 
already into hardcore music. Um, where were you before? Where were you? I was in Orange County. I grew up in Orange okay, County. Okay, you grew up in Orange County. Okay, I grew up in Orange County. So I was close to a lot of stuff, although I think I wasn't totally conscious of stuff that may have been happening very close to me because I wasn't on the internet. Uh, I mean, I don't think any of us were. Um, so it was, it was largely word of mouth and record stores, but being in Orange County, I was close to San Diego, and there was the there was the whole scene based around like struggle, swing kids, Justin Pearson, what later become became three one G. And how did you find that stuff? Um, well that stuff that stuff came kind of later. That came when I got to Santa Barbara. But when um, you were in Orange County, what stuff was popping up for you? The first show that I ever saw, the first like the first um sort of like punk rock hardcore show warehouse show that I ever saw that wasn't like a big stadium show was a band called um it was in Fullerton this is actually really this was a very big night for me because it was the first night that I ever got stoned also so it was the first <laughs> night that I ever smoked weed and it was also the first night that I ever went to see a, a hardcore show. Wow. It was like an earth shattering. I mean it was you know what I mean? It How was old like were you? it was I was sixteen. Um and I went to Fullerton and I saw I wish I could remember what the whole bill was, but I saw a band called Sludge Pot that never heard of them that evolved into evergreen oh my god yeah that's so, a good first one really good and evergreen <laughs> became like that's that's like my band and i later met jason bosel who played drums in evergreen and he ended up playing drums in rilo kylie and with jenny lewis yeah for, of course forever and jason and i did some songwriting together like relatively recently and was past, that a trip Five years. I mean, the first time I ever um, hung with him, I really like. I really like. I went. I went there, <laughs> and he was like. I think he was, was he fine. Yeah, he was fine with it. But there's just see this. I don't think he gets that a lot. But people that are Evergreen fans are like hard, right? Hardcore. Um, that was always my band. Like they were always my faves. I, I mean, I did the same thing with with Aaron, the singer, because he lived in, when I lived in San Francisco, Aaron lived in the East Bay, and he was doing another band that, you know, wasn't really, like, evergreen, but, like, when I met him, I also, I probably was weirder to him than I was to Jason, because I was younger and closer to my evergreen time, but, uh, like, I, those, 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 those evergreen records are still like real, real. They occupy a formative. They're huge. For so me. for that, hearing that record and going, well, there's got to be more. Yeah, I mean, I was like discovering all this. I discovered evergreen first, and I'm not even sure that I 
understood that there was like oh, the whole world of this type of music. Not not that necessarily sounded the same because Evergreen sounds very different from right. a band like Swing Kids or or uh, I don't know, you know. Um, any of Pearson's stuff. Any of Justin Pearson's <laughs> stuff or any, um, any of, you know, it just all, it sounds different. But there was some something, some aesthetic or some mindset that connected all these people together. Um, so I got to, and and let's see. There was other stuff that I would have been into, like when I was still at the end of high school. Um, I can't remember. I'd have to like look at my. Was it like records. was it hardcore? Did you hear the word emo yet? Emo was not in circulation yet. Not not around. Not not around me. I feel like that came like a couple years later, um, and it was kind of applied not only to. It, it really, I feel like that was applied mostly to like the Gravity Records stuff. Right. And like Antioch Arrow, Heroin, Click Attack, um, all that stuff. And it was, a, it really at the time was kind of like a pejorative term. I don't think it was self applied. Right. And when someone, when a band was called emo at that time, like you knew exactly what that meant. It had more to do with, it, it had something to do with the music, but it also had to do with the fashion. Right. Which I was really drawn to. What I was loved, the fashion then? I mean, the fashion was high water pants, a button up short sleeve shirt, a white belt, a pair of steel toe Doc Martin short right yeah yeah the low cut yeah a like sort of what we would have called a romulan haircut (laughs) (laughs) um i mean look at a picture of justin pearson in like 1993 or four and at that time when someone looked like that that was different than a couple years before when you were sort when you saw that look but you say you were drawn to it what was why was it why were you drawn to it i mean i just it was it became very clear to me even when i was that young that like there were some different strains of punk rock and like at that time stuff like you know the like revelation stuff or maybe like earth crisis right the victory the Victory Records stuff, the like kind of like buff guys with the shaved heads that just, I don't know, it seemed like too close. I don't know, like maybe too close to, to the people that at that time in my life and me judging books by their covers, it felt like those are the people that I'm trying to get away from. Yeah. I felt that same way. I was I into it for a minute, and then yeah. I was like, "There's, there's something else than chugga chugga." Yeah, yeah. I, I just want. I wanted to like be with, with kids that were weird. Um, I felt weird myself. And were you playing music by then? Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
And like, yeah, my freshman year of college, I met all the people that um, ended up becoming Exignota. And it was actually kind of a weird mix of people because there were two brothers in the band uh, that were both straight edge. And they remained, pretty much remained straight edge the whole time that that band existed. But the rest of us were were all weed smokers and kind of unrepentantly so. Right. And we were, um, I don't know. It just kind of all mixed together and it was no big thing. It was not a big thing, although I remember when we put a, our first record out on Ebullition, there were some people around that felt like that was a problem because they knew that we were kind of like pot-smoking people and... Yeah, because that I was I just, that straight edge stuff had such that was still like talked about or oh, not yeah. talked about, but like it, it it affected people's opinion of that music. I mean, it didn't affect it enough for Kent McClard to not put the record out. Um, but yeah, I mean, people, you know, I mean, also like we're kind of like the new people, new band in town. We're kind, you know what I mean? There's a lot of there was a lot lot happening, a lot of politics. <laughs> Right. Who did you meet first when you were doing the band? I mean, who did you meet in the scene, or who? When did you meet Kent? Like those kind of things Uh, that sort of. uh, I mean, it it would have all been like, I I was meeting people. We're talking about music. Oh, there's a show happening. Let's go to the show. Go to the show. There's Kent and. You know, whoever's playing, uh, it's it's hard for me, me to remember. Yeah, um, that's that that's normal for the show. It's okay. <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to remember, although. So that would have been my freshman year, and um, at that time there was a place in Goleta called the Living Room that was doing shows that continued to do shows, and they were the established place. Um, run by a guy named John Lyons who was also a recording engineer and he had us he he recorded stuff at the living room wow and um do you know when he started it i don't it was before, before i you. got there like well before and he was he was a little older and he was very established in the scene and very very loved like i people really liked him he was super nice um a real like booster of just making youth, youth energy, you know, yeah. just like a supporter of weird people. Um, so there were shows there. So there were shows there, but for some reason, maybe it was because we felt like there wasn't a space that, or maybe there just weren't, didn't feel like there were enough spaces that could accommodate the people that we knew were coming through or would come through if, there was a place to play. Right. Um, we started doing shows in our apartment, and this was pre... I don't know if you ever heard of a place called the Pickle Patch. Aoki, right? right? Wasn't he a part of that? Yeah. So so our house was called 6554 Sabado Tarde. It was just the address, and it was the place that was the like first apartment that was doing shows. No shit. So we did that for a year. and what we did shows? Sh- I mean, dude, we had... Man is the Bastard, VSS, what? Promise Ring, um, Lifetime, um, God, who else? Embassy, 
uh, bastard noise. So like 95, 94 kind of stuff. I would say like 94. Fucking hell. I mean, we did shows all the time, every weekend, and it we were so clueless. We had neighbors above us that we didn't know. We <laughs> never asked them if this would be okay. We never talked to them. They were like, they were just regular college kids trying to go to college. And we were having these... How many Gnarly. people were there? I mean, you could cram. If you crammed, we could get 35 people, 40 people. We had Dahlia Seed. I don't know if you remember that band. Yes, of course. I had, Rain uh, Like the Sound of Tran. No, uh, Sevens. Do you know that Discord band, Sevens? No. They were like, there was like a little strain of Discord that was like reggae. Interesting. So they, there was Rain Like the Sound of Trains, and then when they ended... It was um, a band called Sevens. So they, they came through. Um, and this was phone, phone, flyer, book your own fucking phone life. Phone and letter and letters. I mean, this was a time when like we, as, a ba- as Exignota, we were booking our tours using dialers. Yep. And... That's how we made all our long-distance calls, and it was like the most normal thing. We just had a dialer. That gets brought up just Dialers. as much of, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> anyone that I was like, remember. any, any, anyone that talks about a dialer immediately is like, okay, you're real. You, I know I know you were the brave in brave guys, Jimmy, world guys, they all yeah, dialers. Every, everybody. Um, but what, what, when you guys were doing that, you had the show, you were... You were putting on these things. Did you, was it just we're having fun in the moment or was there, we just loved it. Like I, I, I was so enchanted by the idea of this intentional community of musicians that really stretched across the country. Um, his hero is gone. That was a, that was an intense one. Um, wow. I just, I just was in love with this idea that we were meeting these people from all kinds of different places with all kinds of different accents and everybody was... And they're bringing records with them too. And they're bringing records with them and, you know, but there was just a lot of... At the same time that you felt these really cool, interesting differences, like there was this core of similarity like we shared a lot of the same ideas about like politics and i mean what we understood about politics which was very little right <laughs> um but i don't know man it was it was really really beautiful it was actually like such a i don't know if i would be making music still had i not did i if i didn't have that those years like deep in me it's funny to talk to so many people that later in what they're doing, right? Yeah. Andy Rich from Initial, he runs a casino. Of course he does. <laughs> yeah. Because he ran a festival <laughs> and it was right. successful. He did Crazy Fest forever. I just, the, where kind of people, it's yeah. like, it's almost like this other school that you went to. Yeah. And it was this, not saying school of punk rock, but like this DIY sort of way that you sort of went about things yeah, that's, that that's really, I think goes far. 
it's it's like the DIY mindset that really carried me through. I mean, you know, even as I got more and more involved in like what we now think of as the music business, which is like where my life and livelihood is now, like the way that I found my way to that place was really doing stuff on my own forever and ever. Even early His Gold Messenger, I was still using methods that I learned then. Wow. You know, and it seemed normal to me. It it was never a, it was never like, I never felt like if only so-and-so would call me back and put my record out. Like for me, it was just like, I have this, cool little record i'm gonna press it myself i'm gonna make the covers myself and i'm gonna sell them out of the back of my car like what's there's nothing weird about that that's something that i've been doing my whole life um and i feel like that had really gave me a leg up over a lot of people that they were probably waiting they were waiting for something and And they never put out their own shit i I get it but um that that just that just it's never been my way and the reason that it hasn't is because because of those those days going back to that quickly the band like what was so the school you still did the shows you're in your band yeah what was the life cycle of that or what were some other moments that you remember i mean we we did a lot of touring we um we did a lot of tours with torches to rome uh, who I still think of as one of the greatest bands of that era. Like, what label were they on? I don't know what label they were on. That was, but they were from Santa Barbara. No, or? they were. They were. Do you know that band? It vaguely. So that's why I was asking questions. To be like, I don't know if I did based on the label or uh, Torches to Rome. I don't know what label they were on, but it was, um, it was Sarah Kirsch's band at the time. Um, Sarah Kirsch was Mike Kirsch. It was a three-piece band, and they were like, they were from the East Bay, and they were the hardest fucking band. Wow! I mean, like to this day, <laughs> incredible. We did a lot of touring with them, a lot of touring with the Locust, a lot of touring with Jenny Piccolo. Those were like the three bands that we cool would travel around with, and we were like, our band was. Probably not the hardest of those bands, but definitely the weirdest. Describe just, it for anybody that's because listening. It was. Um, you can make obscure references too. I mean, <laughs> I think that people in the band were bringing lots of different influences that. I don't know. Like there was, a, we listened to a lot of Sonic Youth, <laughs> and um, a lot of I don't know, just weird jazz, and I don't know, just stuff all over the map. I don't even know how we found it, or or how right. it would have come into our possession, but. Um, Yeah, so so that band, we we toured a lot. We bought a van in Goleta um, for five hundred bucks, and like 
drove it into the ground. I mean, we traveled around the country for months and months in that thing. Um, came home, and at that, I, well, I remember a very specific thing that like just felt like things were changing, which was um, me and a couple of the guys from my band, including Scott Hirsch, who I still work with to this day. Scott and I still, he was in Exignoto with me, and 30 years later almost, like we're still making records together. It's amazing. It's so, it's beautiful. Um, but anyway, me and Scott and a few other friends from Santa Barbara that all were in that little circle and Chris, the guitar player from Jenny Piccolo and maybe James, the, I don't remember if James, the bass player of Jenny Piccolo, I don't remember if he was there too, but we all went to go see Tortoise at the Roxy. This was the first time that Tortoise was touring not like, on wow. their very first record because we were like all starting to find our way to the weird like the other that weird that stuff like thrill jockey and quarter stick quarter stick and you know like we'd we'd already been into like juno 44 and rachel's all of a yeah, sudden yeah. it's like oh piano <laughs> and um That's so cool sonora pine and We'd like kind of moved through that, and that was t so. It was so hardcore adjacent. I'll look at that. Yeah, we can edit. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're fine. This is Luke. So Luke, Hi, Luke is. I'm Tom. This is Tom. Luke is Luke is my front of house engineer, and the amazing thing is that when Luke and I started working together many years ago. His first job was doing sound for Sonic Youth on the Daydream Nation tour. Wow. Which is like mind-blowing <laughs> to me. <laughs> I still can't believe it. We, were st we had done a lot of touring, put records out. We were getting older. I mean, this is all happening in the span of two years, but we're young. So the years mean more. So much. And... Um, so we're we're getting into this all this other stuff. We're like reading voraciously reading the Wire magazine and all of a sudden it's like Mouse on Mars, Oval. Um Anyway, so we go to see um Tortoise. It was like when Dave Paho was still in the band. And um See and Cake was on the bill too. Oh wow! And another sub pop band called Five Style. I, I love Five Style. Yeah. Instrumental. Yeah. So it was those three bands at the Roxy. I have not thought of Five Style in like twenty years. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so we all went to see that show. We drove our shitty van down to Hollywood to see that show at the Roxy and I just remember like things felt different after that show and it would not could be hard pressed to say exactly why other than we just watched people that seemed to us at that time to really be able to play and to like be taking their musicianship seriously and 
at that time, that felt really appealing. Yeah. So then it was kind of like, then we started to drift a little bit. You know, we were, some of us were getting ready to be done with school. Some of us were just feeling like there's a lot of rules in this hardcore scene. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like things that you aren't supposed to do. There's like a way that you're supposed to look, even if it means with a white belt and high water pants and stuff, that's a uniform. I don't know. It just felt kind of like, it it felt a little, it got less interesting. Right. To me. Um, But it was still, you know, we saw, you know, another place, we saw a ton of shows at the Jabberjaw. Right. I don't know if you know that place. Yes, totally. Um, that's a place that, like, I saw more... It's getting a little loud. <laughs> it's getting a little loud. What do you think? That lady has a... She should do the. She should do your intro. She's got a voice that fucking travels. <laughs> I mean, we could probably go back in here. You want to do that? Let me ask them if that's Let's cool. ask them and then we'll do it. Yeah, no sweat. We used to drive from Santa Barbara often, like sometimes it seemed like every week to see shows at the Jabberjaw. And that was another place that we encountered music that was not totally in the scene that we existed in. And that was really good for us. So we would see... Like punk stuff, right? We'd see like Rocket from the Crypt. Right. Or saw a lot of unwound shows there. Um... But also weird stuff, like, I, I don't know, I can't remember. But uh, it was like something like, so you're maybe a junior in college, and you're like, we're going to the Jabber Job. Yeah, like sophomore, junior. Um, and another place we would see shows that was, I could never really find anybody that knew this, could remember this place, but then an Instagram page started um, this place called the Macondo. Have you ever heard of this place? No. It was kind of short-lived, but it was it was rad. And so I would see, like, definitely remember seeing a Julia show there. Loved, Fuck! Loved that band. Um, you know, another band that I really loved was Jawbreaker. That was like... They were up there with Evergreen for me. They really spoke to my teenage love of... And they were playing the Jabberjaw, right? Oh, totally. We definitely saw definitely saw Jawbreaker play there. and I mean, they were like... I don't know. In a weird way, they were like the standard bearers of... It wasn't... It, they really sounded nothing like Gravity Records bands. But right. they... I don't know. There was... They were kind of like, I just loved him. I loved him. I loved the way that I loved the way that he wrote. He was a great writer. Did you like the doc? Did you? See yeah, the I did. I did like it. Yeah, totally. I just thought it was funny too that Dan from the Promise Ring was like a producer on it. Yeah. Um, and just being able to know how Adam saved all that stuff. Yeah. For years and years and years. And, yeah. And 
I don't know. He saved it because he wanted it. Yeah. And then it ends up making the documentary so beautiful because all this stuff is totally saved. I just, that was also really beautiful about them that he kind of knew, okay, something's cool is happening. Yeah. Yeah. God damn. I love that band. When I lived in San Francisco later, um, he ran a video store yeah. called last weekend. That was our local video store. Like, and he clearly knew a ton about film as well because it was an impeccably curated yeah. video store. Oh, that's so cool. And again, did you But have, I was did, always so starstruck right. when I would like, see oh, him fuck. like, oh my God, it's the drummer from Jawbreaker. <laughs> I mean, he, I was not, I was not, I had kind of moved away from that music, but it's still, you know, that stuff, that their music got really deep inside me when I was young, so. I think what's interesting about the time period that you were in school, which was just before me, I started in 96, you started yeah. a few years before. You talked earlier about not having the internet or it being kind of right. slow, still flyers, still word of mouth. And then it, it's sort of this forgotten moment before yeah. 01 and the internet and everything's going crazy. Like it's yeah. that little pocket of time yeah. that we're not gonna get back. <laughs> like. Going to that Jabberjaw, not having your phone. And I love it now, right? We were texting an email. We found each other on Instagram or yeah. beautiful. But I just, that's that last little moment. And I think your age, my age was that. Yeah. I just think the way that music was curated or sort of talked about or presented, you had to put the work in. Mm -hmm. You had to go to the show. Mm -hmm. Do you think about that or that? I do. Time? I mean, I think about... Um I definitely think that for those that were inclined to do that kind of work, that's why the memories of the feelings from that time feel so rich because it was a, it was a, it was a full, fully engaged practice being, being with that music. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was very innocent and it had not, I mean, we were trying to sell each other records, but it was not being commodified in the way that it feels like everything is every moment of life is now um being taken and packaged and sold back to us yeah um i've been thinking a lot about about this over the past couple of days because i just read this this book by this french author named annie arnaud arnaud um who wrote this book called the years and it's basically uh it's basically her autobiography, but also kind of an uh, kind of an autobiography of a generation. She was born and she was born during World War II, and she's still alive now. She's now in her eighties, but wow. it really was this like profound. I would call the book profound. I, I can't couldn't even say if I loved it because it's so complicated and I didn't walk away from the book feeling 
uplifted. Um, because part of the subtext of the book is that the, the way that technology and capitalism in tandem have have made memory and the process of aging um, have made them cheap in a way. And um, that that's not like what the book's about. It just it keeps, coming, it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. Um, so, so to go back to, you know, this, this time that we're talking about in the mid nineties, when we're using dialers and payphones and writing each other letters and making zines and exchanging zines and making our own record covers and stuff like, it, it, you know, that those memories are really rich because we were not distracted from what we felt our mission was at the time. Right. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful to have, to have that. I think about where I, I can remember it and then, put myself in the present and go, why do you have 17 notifications on right now? Do one thing. (laughs) Remember when you could do one thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I know people are, you know, kids are better at it than us probably. And they've already figured out, but I love that. I could have, I can go back to a time when that didn't exist. Right. And yes, there was a thousand things going on. Yes. Mm -hmm. I had things I had to do, but I felt more focused. I'm focused on this. I'm at this show with Mike at the Jabberjaw. We're here. We're yeah. in the moment. We're not scrolling. Yeah. And I kind of, I really, I, I, I feel like I honor that or sort of try to remember that yeah. in certain moments because yeah. you get lost. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That, that, that time is... Um, and, and also the, that music was really helpful to me. How at so? That, at that moment in my life when I felt confused and unsure about who I was and what I was, you know, not even what I wanted to be doing with my life. Like I hadn't even come to that question yet. It was more just like seeing people living out themselves on a stage was... It was good. It was valuable, you know? It was valuable for a guy that is, you know, I'm like, think of myself as a pretty introverted person. I mean, I've obviously trained myself to, yeah, totally. to, to be outward facing too, because it's, it's part of, part of my job and it's fine. It's fine. It's no problem. But, um, you know, I just, I don't know. There was a lot of that energy in that universe right then introverted people trying to understand how to be with each other and make this community um that was totally on the fringes of whatever was whatever was happening in the overculture right (laughs) um and to feel safe and to feel safe and feel like we could still we could still be silly and you know explore and 
uh, you know, date each other, all this stuff. It was like a parallel, it was like a parallel teenagedom. Um, you know, I wasn't a sports guy. I, I was really into skateboarding. I was really into surfing. Um, but I just wasn't built for, for competition in the way, in, in the way that it was presented to me where I grew up in Southern California. And I, I was always looking for an alternative or something that I could do by myself. And music and especially hardcore at that time gave me those things right when I really needed them. That's really beautiful. Yeah. So when it you left school, you saw you saw Tortoise, you go on all these shows and you're sort of shifting. What what in what in your head was like I, I wanna do this now or did was were things more clear about I'm gonna do music? I'm gonna or no No, not really. I mean you know I had all kinds of jobs. I've had all kinds of jobs in my life. I mean, I was working a full-time job until I was 40 years old. Um, but music always has been a really pure thing for me. And the way that I make it, I, I, I guess that people must hear that. The like the vulnerability in it or something. I, I, I don't exactly know. And I'm hesitant to like, <laughs> I'm hesitant to interrogate that too much. Um, because that is like an area of magic and mystery at a time when those two things are pretty hard to find. Right. So, um, I'm still like an omnivorous music fan as well like I still listen to music all day long every day and I'm still digging through record stores like I was then you know um so it stayed with you oh totally I mean totally it's it's deep in me and it still is like a my a very joyful place for me records are um just the artifact the ritual putting them on and flipping them over. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's deep. Yeah. It's pretty deep. Yeah. But like when I saw that you had, were talking with Tony joy, I was like, Oh, okay. Tony joy. I love Is that Tony. How you joy. Found it? Yeah. So many people found the show with Tony. Yeah. I got to see him on Saturday. Yeah. Um, he called me. He's like, you want to get, you know, brunch and it was pouring in LA. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, it's Tony fucking joy. I'm going to Highland park and having yeah. breakfast with him. Cause it's, and just to spend time with him and hear him speak. It just, I don't know. Like, it's like these people. Yeah. Tony's, so Tony things. is a big one for me. Like, cause UOA of that, of those bands. Um, I feel like I've mentioned multiple bands <laughs> that were my favorite band. Yeah, that's okay. But like in, in that like sort of fucking, aggro shredded energy vibe like uoa to me is like dude i mean that it's like that deserves so its own heavy and and tony's playing is is weird it's like he was on he was on one <laughs> um 
And so, yeah. So you saw that and you're like, okay, we're going deeper. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I just figured that anybody who's talking to Tony Joy, like, probably knows enough, probably knows if I were to have a conversation with them, I could like reference these. Julia. I could reference Julia and you would know what I was talking about. Right. It's like, it's sort of this arcane knowledge that I have like a couple people that I can talk, talk to about, nice. about Julia seven inches, but not, not many. Not many. Um, but that's what's so cool about this. And I think Tony, doing it and other people have sort of piped up and especially with Ken Shipley with Numero starting to sort of say, here's what happened. Here's what's going on. And, and you should listen to it and here's why. And I think there's an opportunity we made fun of, you know, Oh, the internet, the internet. Well now, I mean, there's a kid I was talking to last night from Brazil. He was telling me all these bands he found. He's never left San Paulo. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's cool. I mean, it's, (laughs) Like he likes Boss Icon. I'm like, how the fuck did you find that? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because, yeah, when that Indian Summer comp came out that Ken put out, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? You're putting an Indian Summer record out? I mean, that is so awesome. But, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to buy it who's going to buy it? Right. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I hope many people, but like, um, I mean, the postmark stamp stuff that he did was legendary. People were like trading that stuff like crazy. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm glad he's doing it, but yeah. it really, it's very, it's, it's like, uh, it's just strange. It's like the music of my childhood all of a sudden has is like this new currency that and getting redemption and getting is getting a redemption and actually is like the the story that's being the like narrative about it is really it's like discussion about uh that community is cool is really cool yeah so then with with his golden messenger how long has that been going on that as a as a project for you. Um, I started his in probably oh oh five maybe oh six. Something and like that. based in it's I started it like at the very end of my time in San Francisco. I my wife and I moved from San Francisco to North Carolina in oh uh, seven. And oh I right, pl- we talked about that because I I went to school and went to Elon in the oh. from ninety six to two thousand. Crazy. That's where you went, Elon. Holy shit. That's... And I found the weird punk kids and I hung out at the radio station and I went yeah. to five shows a week. Yeah. yeah. Cradle, Lizard and Snake. Right. Like everywhere. But that cool spot to roll into. Yeah. Merge. Yeah. Yep Rock. St- I, I, I interned at, intern at Yep Rock Whoa. and Red Eye. No way. Yeah. Wow. In Haw River? Yeah. Um, that was my first internship. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean Merge is uh <laughs> it's funny that I've I've made a ton of records for Merge at this point. Really? I mean I've they've put out all my records. Oh right, right, right. They put out all my records, but at this point it's a lot. It's like ten or wow. more. Um and I'm How do you like it there? 
or in you know North Carolina or just you know kind of settling there it's cool I mean I've been there 15 years so it's now a, a third of my life <laughs> and I should have asked you to bring cheer wine that was my bad <laughs> um, yeah it, it's great I mean it's it feels like home I've we had we have two kids. They were awesome. both born there, and it's it feels like home every time I'm back in California. You know, I'm I mean I'm a California native, so it's I like I like that we're doing it today near Goleta. I know it's it's wild it's wild <laughs> to to be to be in this particular spot. Um, so sorry to derail, but you were you're in you're in North Carolina. You've been doing this, you know, and then but you said you had a full time job while you were doing yeah. this project as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't have like I I didn't have I I didn't have like two fucking pennies to rub together from music and until I'd been doing it for twenty five years, you know. And it's it's again, it's only because I. I had this like training in how to how to sort of deal with music on your own terms that I learned from from hardcore music. I really think that's the only reason why I kept doing it when so many other people would have been like I'm out. <laughs> Or tried to do the thing that was happening, or tried at the to, moment. Or, or, That's or, what I felt. Sure, sure. Or tried, would, yeah, tried to do, some, tried to just hop on something that might work. Um, I mean, I've tried that. I've tried that occasionally, but you know, people can tell when it's not genuine. When was the moment when you were like, "Holy shit, I can do this full time"? I mean, there wasn't a moment where I was like, "Hot dog." It was more like. I'm getting so busy with music and if I just quit my job I can actually like set my booking agent free to go to actually go take these offers and um wow. so like in 2014 I quit my job I worked for Duke at the time and Duke Coffee House another great venue. Yeah. My band played there. Yeah. What was your band? <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry. I gotta know. <laughs> we were called Twisted Kites. Awesome. <laughs> That's pretty emo. <laughs> and then the other one, actually, I will say, because you did, it was Mirror 42. The only reason, it was a hardcore band, and some of the guys are now in other hardcore bands that, like, it's, they, they love to, like, do trivia with it. But the only reason I called it Mirror 42, it was so stupid, as I was straight edge, the, the, the 24th letter of the alphabet is an X. There you go. So I would just go beer 42 X and then I'd put X's around it. Cause that's <laughs> so stupid. Anyway, <laughs> that's some straight edge. That's some straight edge for you. Um, so you, so you left Duke, you were like booking agent, go nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause my, my booking is still my same guy. He's the fucking best. He's in my opinion, he's the best booking agent. So when I was like, Adam, I just quit my job, dude. So please keep me busy enough. I mean, I already had two kids. Wow. I was like, am I, you know, it was a little like stepping off a cliff. I thought it would, I thought I could make it work, but it was stressful as hell. It's still stressful, but 
not even remotely like it was at, in that moment. Um, That's yeah. really rad. That's beautiful. So, thanks. Yeah, so... Um, so and I, I was already I was already making records for Merge at that at that point in time, but I was just like a new band for them, right? Um, but they've all all those guys, you know. Merge is like feels like family now. I mean, Luke, um, who you met, is married to Laura Balance, one of the owners. Oh wow. And, you know, like Laura drove us to the airport at four in the morning this morning. <laughs> so like we're all tight and we all live close to each other. And um, I mean, the first time I ever saw Laura Balance play in Superchunk was in Santa Barbara um, in like 1993 or four. And wow. I was just like, I, I love this band. I mean, I loved I love Superchunk and um, they were a big one for me. They were kind of like hardcore adjacent. I don't know. They're not hardcore, but yeah, I don't know. It's just I've had a fun, a funny life in music that uh, I'm thankful for. I love it. Last thing I'll ask you was what would you say to someone out there that's, you know, searching or doing it for 10 years and thinking I'm going to stop or um, what were those things that hardcore you know, was reminding you or telling you to kind of keep going? Like if someone... I mean... Is that a weird question or... It's not a weird question, but it's it's not one that I feel... I mean, I cer there's certainly no... There's no shame in getting to a point where you're like, I don't think I can keep doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And just walking away. I, I think like I'm I'm so I have such a problem with people telling me no. <laughs> I have the same problem. <laughs> that it's like <laughs> I will do something for thirty years to prove to them that I <laughs> that I can actually do it. And I feel like so there's like maybe a tenaciousness in me that is like borders on obsessive. Uh, I mean, look, I think that you to like play a long game with any artistic medium, you have to have a, have an internal connection to it that, has nothing to do with the public face of it. You have to you have to practice it because it's the way that you communicate something about yourself to yourself. And I feel like that's what hiss has always been to me like when I found my my voice, my figurative voice with hiss it's not, I'm not doing anything that a million other people haven't done, but it's just, I found the right set of words to use to talk to myself about myself and about my problems and the things that I love and um, in a language that makes sense to me and, you know, 
to do it with vulnerability. And I think that maybe people respond to it because it feels real to them because it's always been this, it's, it's always been this like this personal thing that I have with myself. And, um, it's been real You'd, since you started playing music or going to those shows. I mean, I or think so. It's it's just been buying this... the record, hanging out with friends. It's it wasn't. You're not doing it. I always tell I can't not do this. Yeah, I have to. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I mean, there certainly have been days in my life when I've <laughs> I've been disgusted with music and everything that it's feels everything that it feels like it's made me do it hasn't actually made me do it made me do anything but um you know music is hard it's hard to it's hard to make a life in music i'm like i must be part of the like one percent you know what i mean it's that like it's hard it's hard on your ego and it's hard on your body and um, but I just think that it's the best medium. It's like, it's the most beautiful, transcendental form of communication. You know, I just, it's just part of me. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing this. Of course. I know how to sing about 